going to have us read two passages this evening. Remember that we, I don't like doing this, but last week I preached half a sermon and then stopped. So we're, we're going to reread the, the same main passage I read last week from Exodus 20. And then I'm going to have us also read from Hebrews chapter 10 this evening. My, my reason for that is this. I, I realized that last week while trying to talk about the sacraments generally, I kept applying things with the New Testament sacraments. Um, but I'm also going to be preaching on the New Testament sacraments uh, at some point soon. Um, and so I thought, wouldn't it be more beneficial if we're trying to think, not get sucked into those debates and the things that are so intimately uh, uh, in our hearts because we have strong opinions about them, um, but rather if we're trying to think more generally about what are what is a sacrament, uh, maybe it would be better to especially focus tonight on Old Testament sacraments. And so I, I want to especially focus on, we're, we're going to spend just a moment on circumcision this evening, but I also want us to reflect on sacrifices, how all the sacrifices of the Old Testament were sacraments. And so for that purpose, uh, reading first Exodus 20, verses 22 through 26. Exodus 20, 22 through 26. Hear the word of our God. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. The gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name or have set my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Just... Recall, I did exegesis in this a little bit last week, but just the bullet points of this, to us, very strange passage, right? Here, God has been seen by them, and but soon they're not going to see God. He's not going to be a fiery pillar or a mountain on fire, a booming and thundering to them in Canaan. And so he knows our hearts. We're very visual. We're going to want those sensory things. We're going to want to reject the word and come up with different ways to worship him like the pagans. And so he says in the midst of them trembling at actually seeing him, he says, but when you don't see me anymore, don't make a God of me. A, a, a fake idol of silver or gold. And when you make an altar, the, the pagans make really fancy altars and that becomes the thing, but just heap up dirt or throw rocks into a pile because the thing is what you do on it, not the altar itself. So I've given you this picture, this visual thing, the slaying of the animal. We'll think about that more tonight. Um, but 
the altar itself is just to be plain and ordinary and boring because you're to focus on what I have given you. And, and don't do any fancy uh, genuflecting and uh, dances on your way to do the thing so that the, the way you do it becomes the focus. No, no, no. The sacrifice, the thing I've given you is the thing. And that thing on which I've put my name to be remembered is actually a source from which I will bless you. So there, there's that pat. There's, there's my mini sermon on that. Now let's read from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll be reading um, the first 10 verses of this passage tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have had to cease to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, that's Christ, of course, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it was written, is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings of sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then Christ said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for these passages of your holy word. We thank you that they are just as much your word today as they were 2,000 and 4,000 years ago. We thank you, Lord, that they are active and able to pierce heart and mind. And we pray that now you would be glorified as we reflect on what these things teach us about those wonderful sacraments you've given us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do have a coloring page that was for this morning, and then I forgot in my, in my briefcase if any of you want one. You can color some pigs. But you won't, you won't hear the words that I had on the word part. So here, here are the pigs if you want to color them. We come back to thinking about what is a sacrament. And uh, last week, we, we started thinking about what is a sacrament. I'm, I'm giving us five, five points of the things that distinguish what is a biblical sacrament? Now, I, I said last week, the word sacrament doesn't appear in Scripture, does it? 
it, it actually comes from a Latin word and it came into real power during the, the Middle Ages in terms of its use. Um, it was used a little bit before then. But, but in essence, the church has acknowledged through the centuries that there are certain things in Scripture that are given to the church for our blessing, for the grace of God as means of grace, um, that are uh, unique, that are different from uh, just other things. And so we have to have some word to define those and, and then some uh, way of talking about them. And so we use the word sacrament. Now, we saw the first three things that are true of the biblical sacraments. The first is that a sacrament is something instituted by God. In the New Testament, it's instituted by God, the Son, Jesus Christ. And we see this uh, right at the end of what we've read together of the Belgic Confession this evening, didn't we? That uh, we are satisfied, as if he needs our approval, but we're satisfied with the number of sacraments that our Master Jesus Christ gave us. Uh, he gave us two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Of course, there were different uh, sacraments in the Old Testament, and there were more sacraments in the Old Testament. Uh, why? Because we've seen Christ. We don't need as many. We have seen Christ. And so they had more sacraments back then. But a sacrament first then is something instituted directly by God. We can look at Matthew 28 for baptism's institution by Christ. We can look at 1 Corinthians 11, as well as the Gospels, for the institution of the Lord's Supper by Christ. And then the second thing we saw last week was that a sacrament is something that's supposed to be practiced, continued uh, by the people of God throughout the entire age in which it's given. So the Passover, even though it wasn't always practiced, was supposed to be practiced through the entire Old Testament age, from the day when Passover first happened until Christ was arrested, the last time the Passover should have been practiced. Although we know the Jews have continued to do a bloodless form of it since 70 AD. Um, but that should have been the last time, right? It was given until the, the Passover lamb actually came and did his work, and then it's obsolete. Same thing with circumcision. Given to Abraham, supposed to be continued until when? Until Christ, circumcised himself, uh, replaces it or makes it obsolete. No more shedding of blood, not even our own blood. And so the sacraments are to continue throughout that whole age. Baptism and the Lord's Supper both have that emphasis of, uh, well, baptism. Uh, I am with you even to the end of the age. That's the period of time we're supposed to baptize. Uh, Lord's Supper, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we better be practicing the Lord's Supper when he comes again. What a cool thing. I'm not the first person to have said this, but wouldn't it be great if we were celebrating the Lord's Supper and Jesus came? That would be very neat. Not that we'll complain if, if it's different than that. Uh, third, the, a sacrament is for the visible church. For the visible church, it's not for the world. And I was recalling recently um, two interactions I've had over the years as a pastor with people about 
um, about the sacraments and about how we view the church. One was someone who um, didn't believe in church membership, uh, but also then told me that, well, really anyone who's baptized is part of the church because in the Bible there's such a close connection between baptism and membership in the church. And, and I actually said, amen. So how can you separate and say there's no need for church membership? <laughs> uh, the two things go hand in hand. Uh, and another time I was talking with some beloved brethren uh, about the Lord's Supper, and one of them made the observation that if we fence the table the way that many, in fact, I would say most Protestant denominations have done since the Reformation, uh, fence the table, meaning uh, you need to be a, a part of a Bible-believing church to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, but uh, membership in, in the history of the church has been the requirement there. Members of a gospel-proclaiming church. And th this brother in Christ said to me, well, you know, when I first came to the Lord, uh, the Lord's Supper was such an important part of my spiritual uh, experience, but I wasn't ready then to be a member of a church. I don't know if I believed in church membership. Uh, um, so that would have really hampered my development if I hadn't been allowed to participate. And uh, I, I, I said to that brother, well, then you, you don't, didn't and probably don't understand either membership or the Lord's Supper. It's not about you and your personal experience. It's about the church of Jesus Christ, one body, and one with him. Um, so the sacrament is for the visible church. And the important aspect of that visible church uh, thought is, of course, that um, the, the visible church has hypocrites in it. People who have never truly believed, have never experienced the inward reality. And yet it is for the visible church, and that includes hypocrites. So you have Simon Magus being baptized, probably celebrating the Lord's Supper until they realized he was an apostate. He was not really a believer. And, uh, and the apostles gave him the sacraments, and yet he never truly believed. And we need to acknowledge it's for the visible church, knowing that we cannot read the heart. Well then, fourth and fifth. These are the two that were left over for this week. Very important ones. But we, fourth, can say that a sacrament is a sign using ordinary things to point us to a spiritual reality. So the short version of that is, a sacrament is a sign. The, the long version of that point is, it's a sign using ordinary things pointing us to a spiritual reality. So, for example, in baptism, it's just water, isn't it? Now, if you're in certain uh, branches of Christianity they try to sanctify the water, try to make it something that it's not. Add holy oil, for example, in some, in some groupings. But that's not what Christ commands. They didn't go out and change the Jordan River before they baptized. Right? We, we had Caleb and Shay's uh, baptism at, at Chris's pool a year and a half ago. Peter wasn't out there on Saturday with a pump pumping all the chemical water out of the pool. And then the elders gathered around the pool as we poured in new water and prayed. And it's holy. No, it was just pool water with chemicals in it. 
right? Uh, if I'd opened my eyes, well, well, actually, I didn't go under the water. If, if one of them had opened their eyes while I was baptizing them, presumably their eyes would have been a little bloodshot afterwards. It was just water with chemicals. If you're baptized in a lake or a, or a, um, a river, there's all sorts of stuff in the, in the water. It's just water. Jordan River wasn't precisely known for being clean. In fact, one person who was supposed to dip in it complained that it was basically sewage right? Uh, but they did baptism and it was just water, ordinary sign, but it points to something spiritual. And the interesting thing about sacraments as a sign is that an unbeliever or a hypocrite, a false believer, they might all see the sign, right? That an unbeliever might visit our church, let's, let's say next Sunday, and see a baptism taking place, and the unbeliever might say, oh, here is a picture of washing, right? Making clean. They, they don't get further than that. They don't get to Christ makes us clean. But they might understand at least that there is a sign, a picture of something symbolic going on in this ordinary water. Same thing with many uh, false professors over the, the centuries, right? They understand that there is a, a picture of washing going on, but they've never placed their trust in the one who washes them. So the sign can be seen by an unbeliever as well as a believer. It's ordinary, ordinary materials pointing to a spiritual reality. Same thing with, uh, the, of course, the, the bread and the wine or the fruit of the vine. Uh, we'll leave that for now. But the, the, the bread and, and whatever it is with grapes that Jesus used that they drank in the Bible. Uh, with communion, right? It's just bread and it's just, it's Welch's grape juice. So it's good grape juice, you know, but it's, it's just... It's just Welsh's. I don't order it from, you know, the Missouri Synod Lutheran uh, Grape Company, right? Uh, it's not, it's not uh, grown by rabbis or, or by monks and pressed with their filthy feet to, to give us something holy and special, right? It's just juice uh, in a church that uses wine. It's just wine. It's just bread. If we're doing it Sunday night, I buy it at Foster's. I don't know where they buy it the rest of the time, but, you know, it's, it's Foster's. It, it, sometimes it comes off of Holly's loaf of bread if we're doing it in the evening and there's not need for a whole loaf. It's just ordinary things. It doesn't transform into anything different right before you take it. It isn't actually literally the body of Christ. It is ordinary things, but which God uses uh, to signify or be a sign to point us to Christ, right? The beauty of the Belgic here is that emphasis. This is the fourth paragraph we've read from the Belgic. So these are not empty and hollow signs to fool and deceive us, for their truth is Jesus Christ. So it's just ordinary stuff pointing to a very unordinary reality. Our Savior, 
who washes us in his blood, who gave himself for us. The same thing is true, of course, with the Old Testament sacrifices. As we read in Hebrews 10, you know, no sacrifices could ever atone for sin. No number of sacrifices could ever atone for sin. If they could, they wouldn't have had to keep sacrificing. They can't do it. Now, if you read Hebrews 10 there, and you don't understand the point that's really meant to be made, you might say, well, then why in the world did they waste all their time? If no bulls and goats could ever atone for sin, then why did God command it? Well, for the same reason that you and I take the Lord's Supper frequently. It's not a re-sacrificing of Christ. That's once for all done. But we need to remember that sacrifice always. In the Old Testament, they weren't being forgiven by the blood of some goat. But the blood of the goat slain for them, the blood of the bull, the blood of the sheep, pointed them to the blood that would atone for their sins. Now, most of them didn't understand exactly what that looked like, did they? But they knew that God said, I will forgive through this innocent sacrifice taking your place. And and so Hebrews 10 shows us that uh, that it's just ordinary sacrifices, but they point to something important. Well, the fifth point then that goes hand in hand with that. And this is the one that's really important, I think, for us. These two together, sign and seal. So the fifth is that the sacrament is a seal. Or if you want to word that another way, I like how Belgic puts it here. That the sacrament confirms in us the salvation he imparts to us. That's the end of the second paragraph in Belgic. So when we say that a sacrament is a seal, it's a confirming thing. The seal on a document. It says that this is real, right? This, this birth certificate is official. It's not something you printed up on your computer unless you happen to be notary public and can fake it, right? It, it's... It's real. It certifies the reality of the thing. And so the sacraments, on the one hand, are signs pointing to Christ. They are signs. An unbeliever will never be benefited by just a sign. The Roman Catholic Church, some Lutheran, uh, the, the Lutheran view... And um, in our day and age, the Federal Vision Movement all have taught some form of, of blessing through just doing it. That, that's a crass way of saying it. The, the fancy way of saying it is ex opera operato. That simply in the operation, the partaking of the sacrament, you are blessed. That's how many of the Jews thought it went in the Old Testament, right? Well, I brought my goat. Why is God so mad? I showed up on the Sabbath day. I had my goat. I did the sacrament, right? My son is circumcised on the ninth day, eighth day according to the law. I did it. What's God's problem? 
And sadly, that's what a, a lot of believers have thought with baptism and the Lord's Supper. I, I've been baptized. I'm taking the Lord's Supper. What's the problem? But of course, these signs are only signs unless the Holy Spirit unites the sign, the sacrament, with faith. And so the, the balance is that they don't they don't magically make it cha- uh, a reality change. It, just the sign won't save you. But for all who have faith in their hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not only a sign, but it's a certification, a seal, a guarantee, which means we really experience grace in it. Remember God saying that in Exodus 20 where I put my name to be remembered. There's the sign, right? There I will meet with them and bless them. That's more than a sign, isn't it? That's also a seal of his grace upon his people. But they only experienced that grace, those who believed, those who saw beyond the sign and saw in some shadowy fashion Christ. Like, for example, David. David looks at the same sacrifices which could never atone for blood, the, the blood of man, right? Uh, and he looks at them and he says, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities are covered. Covered by what? The blood of the day of atonement. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Why? Because it's been imputed to the the scapegoat and thrown out into the desert, right? David in Psalm 32 is saying, here are all the, the signs, but I believe, Lord. And so the reality of them is mine, even though those things only were pointing him to Christ, but his faith got to Christ. And therefore he really experienced the forgiveness of sins and all its benefits because of the sacraments. It's a glorious reality. So the sacraments are a seal, uh, wherein the thing exhibited, signified in the sign, also is sealed to the believer. Romans chapter 4, I think, is important here in showing us the, the sign and seal aspect in terms of circumcision. Romans 4, verse 11, we read, of Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal. It's that word, a seal. That's, this is the verse where we get that for the sacraments. A seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. Now, this is an important passage because it tells us that the sign of circumcision, which Abraham experienced, also sealed, guaranteed, confirmed to him the righteousness of faith. But here's the tricky thing. Years earlier, He was justified and declared righteous by God by faith before he ever had the sacrament. 
Romans 4.11 is telling us that the, the benefit, the spiritual benefit of the sacrament is not tied to the moment in which the sacrament is administered. But it's also telling us that the sacrament does confirm and encourage the believer in faith. We can also think again of, of Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Not all the blood of bulls and goats. So is Hebrew, the author of Hebrews telling us to say, well, then what's the hope? No, of course, he's saying, but look, look at what they all pointed to. When Christ came, he said, these things you did not desire, but you gave me a body. Isn't that astonishing? We hear Christ saying, all those sacraments, they weren't the way. But Father, you've given me a body, so here I am to be the sacrifice for sin. The sacrament then was efficacious, wasn't it? Hebrews 11 tells us that all these Old Testament saints who didn't have Christ come in the flesh, who only had the sacraments pointing to him, but who had faith experienced the reality that the sacraments pointed to in Christ. We can tie this in. I'll just tie it into the Lord's Supper. I'll leave baptism out of the equation tonight. Just because that's the next that's the next sermon, right? Not next week. We'll have our Thanksgiving fellowship meal. Uh, but Lord willing in two weeks. So if we just think about the Lord's Supper, let me push this point home again. We, we hear in the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And the tendency in Protestants and evangelicals uh, in our day is to say that means, as opposed to those Catholics who think that just taking the Lord's Supper will give me benefit, Rather, there's, there's no grace conferred in the sacrament. The sacrament's just a mere memorial. Just a mere memorial. Nothing more. Not a means of grace. And, and we can read, do this in remembrance of me, and think, well, of course, that's what it's saying, right? Remember, just a memorial. But think about that phrase, and I know I said this last week. It's worth repeating, I think. Think about that phrase in relation to what we read in Exodus chapter 20. We read it tonight. Where I have caused my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. So when we hear, do this in remembrance of me, he's, he's caused his name to be remembered at the Lord's table. And he says, I will come to you and bless you. Remembering him isn't a mere memorial, is it, at that point? It is a means of God's grace. He seals and confirms his union with us and his grace upon us as we partake. I want to end then by just rereading some of these very thoughts in the Belgic Confession. We believe that our good God 
mindful of our crudeness and weakness. What wonderful language. What wonderful people we are, right? Knowledgeable, knowing, knowing, aware of how crude and weak we are. What kind of crudity might we have? Oh, I don't know. Wanting to worship God like a pagan, like Exodus 20 says, taking your clothes off and dancing up to the altar, uh, pu- putting all sorts of crude, obscene imagery on your altar where you're going to sacrifice to God. M- maybe we're that kind of crude and weak people. Or, I know it sounds a lot less crude, but you know, inventing our own sacraments or coming up with our own types of uh, ways to celebrate and worship. We do that in evangelicalism all the time. Knowing our crudeness and weakness, God has ordained sacraments to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain our faith. He has added these to the word of the gospel to represent better to our external senses, but we're slow to hear. We prefer visual and taste. And so we'll come up with our own idolatrous sights and tastes. He knows this. And so he added to the word of the gospel to represent to these external senses of ours, both what he enables us to understand by his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts, confirming in us the salvation he imparts to us. That's what a sacrament is. These five things that we've looked at, this is what makes up a sacrament. Friends, in the New Testament, only two things have all five of these points in common. Only two. We can give thanks for fellowship. That's a good thing, but it's not a sacrament. We can give thanks for... uh, whether literal or symbolically, washing each other's feet. But it's not a sacrament. The Lord's Supper and baptism are the only two that have been given to us by our Master, and they are enough to confirm the Word to our